Uh, we're continuing act, in Acts this morning um, from chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, brother. So this morning we're finishing up our value series. We've been thinking about what kind of church we want to be, what's important to us. And I'll quiz you later. I thought we'd begin though with a, with a quiz, a pop quiz, because you know, they keep you on your toes, right? Remember those pop quizzes when we were in school? You would get there. Teacher would say, clear your desk, pull out a piece of paper, and then they would give you a quiz. Well, pop quiz this morning. And uh, it's one question. It's a fill in the blank. Won't take too long, I don't think. And here's the question. And I want you to fill this in. For me, real spiritual growth means dot, dot, dot. For me, re- real spiritual growth means dot, dot, dot. You've got 10 seconds. Okay, pencils down. What did you write? What, what did you put? I mean, if you were like me, you maybe you wrote something like, you know, I, I really want to grow in prayer. I really want to grow in the reading of God's word. Uh, there are certain sins, certain issues that I'd love to get past. Just love to grow in certain areas. Yeah? If you're like me, you're pro- you probably wrote something down like that. And, and wonderful. Good. Did well. But maybe we want to think about expanding uh, the answer a little bit. And maybe we want to expand it to encompass, to encapsulate other people. And, and what it looks like to live in community. I, I say that because it seems to me that in our culture, which is a very individualistic culture, that even the notion of spirituality in our day is often construed as something like, you know, how I can better myself. And often spirituality in, in the way that it's understood. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's good. Um, often the way that spirituality is construed, it's, it's really it's about me and not really about the world I live in, my relationships. And I wonder if somehow that kind of zeitgeist has kind of crept into the church and maybe into our church where we we don't think of real authentic spiritual growth as as largely a community endeavor and and, and the reason i'm pointing that out is because when you look at the new testament and when you look at our passage this morning the idea of living in community and growing in community and, and real spiritual growth, it just, it's, it's right there. It's, it's everywhere. It's the, it's the dominant theme. It's the tonic note of this entire passage. And so this morning, as we think about our last value, which is real, real, real growth, real spiritual growth, 
I think there are a couple of signs in our passage that, that point us to what this thing is. Like, what is real spiritual growth? It may be a little surprising. Because on the one hand, I think it's a kind of freedom that we experience that allows us to say, help. That's one thing. And then on the other hand, a kind of freedom that enables us to say, help is coming. And so that's what we're looking at uh, this morning. We're looking at the, the signs of real spiritual growth. And we're seeing that on the one hand, it's a freedom to say help. And on the other, that help is on the way. So let's dive in. First, we know that we're looking at real spiritual freedom when we as a community can say, feel the freedom to say, help. Okay, so we jump in, and the thing that jumps in out of our text this morning is that we're seeing people, a lot of people who are being cared for, right? That's evident. There's a lot of people being cared for. The apostles are working miracles. They're caring for people. We see wealthy Christians who sell their property, their land, and they bring their proceeds to take care of those who are in need. They're helping. We see a lot of help. But then there's this other sign of growth, and it's not as obvious. It's hiding kind of in plain sight. And it's not about those who help. It's about people who need help. Because those people are here in our passage as well. Now, who are these people? Verse 43 says that these are people who had experienced the signs and wonders. Now, it doesn't tell us what those signs and wonders are, not in our passage. But if you kind of flip through the book of Acts, just go to chapter 5, for example. Verse 12, and it talks about the apostles performing miracles and signs and wonders. And then right after that, verses 15 and 16, it tells us what they were. It was people who were sick, people who had an impure spirit, who were being brought to the apostles and who were being delivered and healed on the spot. And then there's this other group of people, people with big financial needs. Remember the context, okay? Remember, this was the time of Passover, the time of Pentecost, and Jewish people from all over the known world had come, that converged on Jerusalem for these feasts. And while they were there, something extraordinary happened. Something that nobody saw coming. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. People see their need for Jesus Christ. They're, they're cut to the heart. They say, what must we do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And, and like around 3,000 people come to faith and come to the Lord and are saved on that day. And then it starts to get crazy. And this group, this new little church grows and grows and grows. And people want to stick around. They want to linger. But it costs money, doesn't it? How many of you are traveling in the next few days? Yeah. Where, okay, have fun. We still love you. And, uh, you know, you know that you can't travel indefinitely. It's too expensive. It costs money to travel. And these people are, are around in Jerusalem. They're there for weeks and months, and the money has run out, and they need help. 
They're financially strapped. And so they ask for help. Somehow they make those needs known. They say, help. And that's risky, isn't it? It is risky. It's a risky thing to say help. I mean, it's, you don't want to be judged. You don't want people to look down on you. You don't want them to think that you're less than. Or maybe the issue is that you don't want to be a burden to people. You don't want to be an inconvenience. Or maybe you just don't want your issues downplayed. You know, like when people don't take it seriously. I, I mean, I know what that is. You know, a few years ago when I had a stroke, it just changed my world upside down. And I, I used to have spidey senses and a sense of direction, like just insane. I would just look at a map and go, and I would get there. And that all changed this brain got reconfigured or something. I don't know what happened, but I lost that. And I remember going to uh, the Hamilton airport to pick up my daughter. She was flying in from New Zealand with a friend. And I got lost in the country somewhere. I don't know where I was. I was lost. And I go to a, uh, a, a gas station and I say to the guy, listen, here's where I'm at. I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I just had a stroke. And um, I need some help, and I need you to be very clear. He goes, listen, I, I don't need to know that you had a stroke. And in my mind, I said, actually, jerk, <laughs> you do. Because I'm trying to tell you something about my life. I had a brain event, and it's changed my life. And I'm a little scared. I'm a little freaked out. And I, I need you to know that. And so what I don't need you to do is to diminish or downplay where I'm at right now. Now, look, and I'm not saying I was perfect in the moment. But trust me, you would respond the same way, wouldn't you? Yes, you would. We don't want our stuff diminished. It's hard. It's hard to say help. It's hard. I just want to know what got into this community. Like, what happened? Like, like what happened? Where people felt the freedom to say help. You know, the freedom to just bring their issues, to bring their struggles, to bring their hurt, to bring their pain, to bring their financial issues, and just say help. Here's what happened. They had an encounter with God and his love. And the love of God had washed over this community. And people knew that they needed the grace of God for salvation and for relationship with God. And as that reality crashed upon them like a glorious wave, they knew their need and they found help in their time of need. And that spirit worked itself out in that community. And it worked it out for everybody in the community. Not just the sick, not just the financially struggling, but the apostles and those with wealth who helped. They all got it. And when we as a church understand that we are needy, and we are, that we are far more needy than we realize. 
what, en- what ends up happening is that we can finally say, help. And we need to say help. Because life is hard. Your life is complicated. It is. Think about your life for a minute. I want you to think about your life. Think about everything that's going on. Think about, think about your emotions. These God-given powerful things inside of you. You know, the, the, the fear and the, the sense of guilt and shame and joy. Just this swirling pool of emotions. And then the sense that sometimes I do good, but then I do what's not good. And I have issues in my heart that haven't been changed. And this very rich and complex inner life that meets a very complex world like your bodies and your relationships and your work, to name a few categories. The bottom line, friends, is this. Not one of us here in this room today has their stuff together. Not one of us. We're all of us needy. We're all of us needing help. We all need to learn how to say help, but you know what? It is a mark of grace when the Holy Spirit can bring us to a place where we are aware of, awaken to our sense, our need for help. We're looking at something glorious, something glorious. How do we say help? How do we say help? I want to suggest a few things. A few things. We say help when our circumstances are difficult. When the finances, when the relationship, when the work, when the family, when, 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 whatever. We, we want to turn to the Lord. That's the first step. But we take a second step. And we want to turn to at least one other person just one other person and say help i got some struggles here i could really need i really need some help uh, it, it looks like saying help when the circumstances are difficult we're saying help when we're struggling with sin now look at all of us today in this room are sinners we all have sin Every single one of us is an addict. You may not know that, but we all of us have addictions. I think a lot of us would prefer (laughs) to keep those to ourselves. But then we have to live in the darkness, and then we have to live in the shadow of shame. (sighs) And it's hard. Like I, I know, I know it's hard. Like I'm the worst culprit. I'm growing, but I'm the worst culprit. I get it. Real spiritual growth looks like a growing awareness, a willingness to say, I need help. I'm struggling with sin. About 30 years ago, I uh, I led this guy to the Lord. We were taking golf lessons in um, some kind of indoor place. It was the winter. I just led his friend to the Lord, and, you know, he introduced me to this guy. You know, the best people, 
the best evangelists are always, you know, brand new Christians, you know, so connected to people who don't know. So he brings this guy to me and we took golf lessons and he was actually being courted by the Jehovah's Witnesses. And we work through that. Do they honor Jesus Christ as the honor of the father? It's right there in John five. No. Okay. Well, that's that. Well, so he comes to faith and it's probably about a year into his, his spiritual journey. He says, Hey, Kiernan, I got to talk to you about something. Oh yeah. What? This guy had, had a, a renovation company and he hadn't paid his taxes for 10 years, either personal or, or business. And I said, okay, so what's, what's the Bible say? Well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So I said, we got to get this sorted out. So here's what we're going to do. You got to hire an accountant to take care of this mess. Thankfully, he had kept all of his receipts in garbage bags for 10 years. He had bags and bags of receipts. <laughs> I said, you got to get an accountant. They can interface with the government, which they did. Cost him $50,000. And then they interface with the government and began a program. They negotiated and with the taxes, with the interest, with the penalties. I think he owed like a quarter of a million dollars. A lot of money. About the same time, he said, Kieran, man, there's a house that I'd like to buy. It's a fixer-upper. Can I do it? I said, yeah, do it. But promise me that if the government comes and, and, and asks for money, you're going to sell that thing. He goes, I will. Fixes it up. I don't know how this worked, but God began to just bless this guy's business, and um, he paid that off in one year, the full thing. He called me up this week and said, here's my new phone number. I just retired. He's my age. What's my point? My point is simply that there's a guy who for years lived in the shame and then brought that into the light of community and his power was broken and he began to experience real freedom. But it began as the spirit was working in him and helping him to say help. And we all of us need help. And we all need to feel the freedom that the gospel brings to turn to each other and say, I need help. You don't have to live in the shadows of shame. That's not what your father wants for you. He wants you to be free. And there's a body here. People who are waiting, who are willing, who would be so honored and touched to hear you bring that stuff out whenever someone confesses sin you are looking at the work of the spirit of God and it is an honor to be in that front row and see the work of the spirit of God powerful it's it's one of those moments where you almost need to take off your shoes you're on holy ground the gospel frees us to be able to say help when it comes to sin and and also, it helps us to, to know how to ask for prayer. 
We're people who are needy, but we are people who also need to learn how to ask for help in prayer. You know, a lot of the times when we ask for help in prayer, we think just about the circumstances that we're going through. I I need help with this exam. I need help with this relationship. Great. But we want to go deeper. We want to share how these circumstances are interacting with our heart. And so we ask, well, how are you feeling? I'm scared. I'm freaked out. I'm nervous. Okay, I'm going to pray about that. And how about this? How can we pray for your circumstances and your heart in this moment and in a way where God's kingdom is going to come and grow? And so we get global with our prayer requests. Do you see that? And so we're moving away from just the circumstances to the heart and to the kingdom of God and something massive. To have a person come to you and say, I need prayer. And to walk them through that prayer request. Again, you're on holy ground. And you're watching the spirit working and growing people right in front of your eyes. All right, so here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that real growth, real growth is the kind of freedom that allows us to say help. You know, when you say help, as just before I move on, I got to say this. It changes the culture of a community. When somebody is willing, when someone feels free to get honest about their struggles and their need, it just changes the dynamic of community. You know that person who shares? And the next thing you know, more people are sharing. And that's what we're that's our goal here. We're looking to be an honest, transparent culture where people can feel the freedom to say, I need you. Please help. Okay, number two, and I'll speed up here. Another sign of of real spiritual growth is when a community not only says help, but when a community says that help is on the way. So we're not just looking at those who need help, but we're also looking at ourselves as those who can provide help for one another. Now, one of the things, maybe the most powerful thing that kind of just leaps off the passage here, and I think we have to think about this, is just how God chooses to heal and deliver and meet needs in our passage. What he doesn't do is move directly. What he does is he works through people. He works through the apostles. He works through wealthy people. But he he helps by people helping. He cares by people who care. Do you see that? Just ordinary people. People who are just like us in many ways but people who the Lord loves to work through, and he did. And what a rush. I just, I want us to pause here for a second and try and imagine the rush that must have been. Can you imagine being used by God to perform miracles? Like healing miracles. Somebody comes to you. They can't see. They're healed. They can't hear. They're healed. They have a demon. They're healed. I I just, I can't even, I've never performed a miracle in my life. I'm just trying to imagine the rush. And what about the people who, 
who had funds, who had resources. You know, the people who sold their property and sold their stuff and, and said, here. Man, the rush. And yet at the same time, what, what were they thinking? <laughs> you know, I mean, to, to sell their property and just give the proceeds away, knowing that that was the end. Like, that was it. That was, was that their retirement? I don't know. But those funds were gone. They went to the community and they were gone. Like, what got into these people? Like, what, what got into them that they were so other-centered? And all they could see were the needs in front of them, and how can I meet these needs? And that's what consumed this early Christian community. That's what I want to figure out with you this morning. And I don't think there's another answer. I'm sure of it. It was this. These people had seen firsthand how God had helped them. How he had helped them in their sin. How he had helped them by bringing them to new life. Giving them an eternal hope. Like they saw it. And that spirit was infused now by the spirit of God in this community such that everyone was seeking to help people who needed help. And that was true of the entire community. When you look at this passage, when you look at this story, you just, you cannot but see the awesome, lavish love of God just poured out on this community. And people are like, I want to help. I don't care what it takes. I want to be that person. Now, what does that look like for us? Listen, as we cultivate a gospel culture here, as we seek to get a taste, a sense of what they, they experienced back then, as we seek to just be absolutely enamored and undone by the, the beautiful, lavish love of God on us in Christ Jesus and the way that he has helped us, as that comes out, I think it's going to mean a few things. We need to move towards one another. We need to see one another. We, we need to, to like say to people, how are you doing? And I don't mean how are you doing in that kind of yeah, throwaway kind of way where you just say hello and you know, how you doing and, and then that's, yeah, I'm fine and then move on. No, it's like, how are you doing? Because most people aren't doing great. You know, but to actually begin a conversation and then to hear stuff comes out because it will if you ask the question. And that privilege to be able to hear a person's story and then to know, hey, how can I pray for you? It's glory. It's just glory. We're looking to take the initiative. We're looking to move in like Christ has moved in for us just taking the initiative, not waiting around to be asked, but how can I help? How can I help? It, it, it means that. It means that we're ready to listen to people and we're ready to pray for them. You know, a few years back, I, I was flying somewhere. I don't know where I was flying to, but I saw a woman in the airport and she was clearly distraught. She was crying. 
And I just wanted to get on my plane, but I had a sense that God was saying, go talk to her. Like, I don't really want to talk with her, God. I want to go home. Go. So I went. And I said to her, listen, I I just, I couldn't help notice that you're very upset. Do you want to talk about it? And she said, no. I said, see, God, I knew this wasn't going to work out. So I said, listen, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. I mean, a lot of times they say yes. They may not be willing to get into it right there, but you know what? They want prayer. To be able to pray for somebody on the spot is such an honor. To be able to bring someone to their heavenly father, what a blessing to listen and to model a listening God and to pray, to take their needs to God. What a blessing. Imagine a community where we're talking. How are you doing? Listening to stories. What's hard? What's good? How can I pray for you? Let's take that to the Lord. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. That's the kind of church I want to pastor. And I see it, but I want to see it more. I want to see us growing in real ways. Um, It means that we're ready to be creative when it comes to helping people. We're not waiting for them to say, look, here's what I need. Listen, can I just do this? Can I just help you and just be creative? When I was recovering from my stroke, I saw people get creative. Some people weren't creative. They asked, how can I help you? Not a bad question, but it's like, I don't really want to answer that question. I had a stroke. Just be creative. Get it wrong. I don't care, but just help. And I think if we could just get creative, you know, with each other. How can I help? What can I sell? You know, what kind of land can I get rid of? You know, how, how, what can I bring? What can I bring where God has put me with the resources and everything that he's given me? How can I move towards other people creatively to help? Yeah. And then maybe one, one more thing. Let's. Let's think about real growth long-term. We're, Lord willing, going to move to a different venue. We're going to move to St. Helen. It works out. There's a place called Adam House. It's about a 15-minute walk from the new building. And people used to join us there. These are people who are new to the country, who have come from some very difficult situations, and where life is incredibly difficult. Still. And what I'm saying is, can we as a church think about what it could mean to walk with that ministry long term? And for people to come into our midst and know that they're going to become our community, our friends, our brothers, our sisters. And how can we walk beside them? Liebenzeller, I think is the name of the ministry. We have people here today from a ministry that we have connected to. We have people who are coming from Germany to study how to grow in their ability to be missional and go out as missionaries. They have found a home in our midst. They're here today in our midst. They'll be here for six months, and they will continue to come, Lord willing. And what does it mean for us as a community to unfold that ministry? And so we're looking out. We're thinking of fruit. 
we're thinking of going beyond this community. And I'm running out of time this morning. I'm running out of steam. I guess what I want to say to you, friends, is this. We want real growth. We want to learn to say help. We want to say help is on the way. And we want the gospel just to come crashing in on us and change us and shape this culture so that there aren't any needs, you see, where everyone's needs are being met. Can you imagine that kind of church? Imagine a church where you're coming in and you're down and you're discouraged and you're hurting and someone's there to bless you in Jesus' name or where God is using you and where God is using you to meet some very significant needs. Let's be that church. Let's be real. Let's grow real. Amen. Oh, before I, before I, before I stop, I promised you a pop quiz. Today we finish up our, our value series. We have four values here at, at Grace West. Four things that define us, drive us, that all of our decision-making is based upon. They all have to do with growth. I want you to call them out. Number one. I heard, I heard some stable growth. Number two. Close growth. Number three. Slow growth. Number four. Real growth. A plus. Well done. Now let's do it. Let me pray. Dear Father in heaven, we want to be not exactly, but in some ways similar to the church that we see here in our passage. And I know, Lord, that in many ways this was a unique and extraordinary moment. But, Father, there are things here that I think are true and should be true of any church and that we want to be true of our church. We want to be a church, Father, that is stabilized by the word of God. We want to be a church, Father, where we are growing closer together and in grace. We want to be a church, Father, where we're not in a rush to grow. We want to be in a church where the growth, the spiritual and even the numerical growth is slow but steady. We want to be a church, Father, that is real in its growth, where we say help. And where we say help is on the way. That, Father, is what we want. We've been working, Father, to this moment. We've been working as a church for over a year to get to this point. Father, take these values and shape them into our community. And shape us for ministry here and ministry abroad, not only in our city, but all over the world. We need your grace to do this, Father. We cannot do this without you. And so come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.